Welcome to the Digital From Day One podcast. Our aim is to build a bridge by creating content that will pique interest, spark conversations, and encourage further innovations that will ultimately build a more informed and prepared pipeline of learners headed for the 21st century workforce. Hi, my name is Brendan Dickerson, and joining me as always is Joel Nelson. Today, you'll be listening to a discussion with, with Dr. Tanja Coverdale, Associate Vice President for Workforce and Legal Technology at Nationwide. You talked a little bit about already your work in higher education and one of those spaces where you have worked and did amazing things is at Central State. And one of the things that I was excited to read about was, uh, well, to say two things, the MyPad program there, as well as the Classroom Without Walls classroom remodeling and technology integration initiative that you had there. If you can give us a little bit of the the why and the how in relation to those projects, and then can you also talk to our listeners, you know, our K-12 teachers and students on how they can prepare themselves in relation to students or prepare students in relation to teachers to flourish in these type of environments and with these type of initiatives? Thank you for that. So again, it goes back to socioeconomic mobility through technology access. As you know, Central State is an historically black college and the only state funded historically black college university here in Ohio. Many of our of the students are Pell eligible. And for those who mm-hmm. don't know what Pell eligible is, it means that your household income has less than $50,000 total. Mm-hmm. So there is there is an income disparity there, and I would say upward of 80 to 85 percent of students in Central State are Pell eligible, just to give you an idea of the low income status of many of the students. In addition to that, many of the students are first generation students. I'll share here that my own upbringing is very similar, and that's what that's what drove me. I was a first generation college student, which goes back to why I didn't I explain I didn't have a computer. And I don't really know, but I would venture to say that I was close to Pell eligible. I don't, I don't really know, but grew up in a single parent household. And so I am the student. I came through an HBCU at Morgan State University in Baltimore. I know what education and technology can do to transform not only businesses, but lives because it's transformed mine, which allows me to transform others. And so really it was fueled through that. And through a conversation where many institutions were experiencing declining enrollment, that's just a fact of of life right now. But when you are a rural institution in Ohio, you're going to feel that impact a lot. And where students' preferences are to go to the city, people didn't necessarily feel compelled to want to come to Wilberforce the way they would or should, because it's a very quality university. With me understanding technology, my thought was, why do we need to bring everybody to Wilberforce? Why can't we bring Wilberforce to everybody? So we, I decided to propose to the state of Ohio this idea of classrooms without walls, mm-hmm. where we would create telepresence classrooms that would blend. And, and this is like three years ago. So mm-hmm. when it when COVID <laughs> hit and I was like, oh yeah, I was on to something and I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, well, if we have, for example, 10 students in the classroom physically here in Wilberforce, but 
There, there may be 50 other students wherever. They can be wherever. It doesn't matter. We can build telepresence classrooms to be able to handle that because businesses everywhere do video conferencing, and we're seeing that more now. Why? And this is three years ago. Remember, why can't we do this in education? Why are we forcing people to sit somewhere when we really don't have to? So again, blending my experience as a practitioner and an academician and able to see that before I think the world saw it, that it was a thing. Mm -hmm. So we petitioned the state and they gave the university uh, upwards of a million dollars to build these classrooms. And I was so excited, particularly because, and I have to share this part, when we were going through the request for capital funding, everyone else was like, we need elevators, we need HVACs, we need, you know, new sidewalks. Dr. Carbono, what's your request? We need telepresence classrooms. And everybody in the room was like, can you send her back to the island, please? Because clearly she doesn't. And who got funded? The telepresence classroom. Thank you very much. And mm -hmm. I am very, HVAC came the next year. So <laughs> <laughs> what it allows, and we're seeing this now, was for us to deliver instruction right to our phones. Any student's phone. You can be in Chicago. You can be in Detroit. You can be in Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland. Wherever you're from, you can still get that same quality interaction from a mobile device. And why does that matter? It matters because going back to the cognitive learning styles, it's, it's some sort of correlation where certain students from different demographics, diverse backgrounds, and also low-income students tend to need a little bit more high touch. Mm -hmm. And it's not good enough to say, here's a module, go teach yourself because sometimes the context isn't there. So they feed off of the interaction, the real life interaction, the media richness that such a platform can perform for them to do better. To go on a traditional distance learning platform would not work for central mm -hmm. state students, the majority of central state students. They're not even really you know, used to interacting with that level of technology on their own. So we still needed to preserve that age. People come to HBCUs for that high touch because the classrooms are smaller, because the, the professors are going to really go the extra mile and get to know you. We needed to put that in a virtual world. And that's what Classrooms Without Walls was designed to do. No matter if you were on campus, off campus, in your car, again, why does this matter? A lot of students were, were low income, they needed to work. Maybe they can't dedicate 18 hours of sitting, or maybe this is my work schedule and now I can't take this class, but I needed to graduate and it's not available until next year. And now I'm a year off from graduation. I'm a year off from graduation. Now I have more loans, more loans, default credit. It, it's a whole cyclical thing. Right. Mm -hmm. People understand the root cause and how yeah. technology access can really mitigate a lot of those things. So again, it was bigger than just oh, we need cool classrooms. It was how do we enable a demographic of people who want to do better? How do we provide them with the platform wherever they are to get the education that they so deserve for their own advancement and advancement of our society? So to K-12 teachers and to K-12 students, I would say, interact with the technology just like you interact with it on your own social platforms if anybody has anything in their house these days it's a smartphone at least one and then you might you might have a smartphone and a tablet and a this so people have at least that there is no difference when you go make selfie videos and the youtube how to you know to make up things where they're doing it all fast and it and, and all of that the same way you interact with it socially interact with it educationally. 
-hmm. You don't have to be any, do anything special, no different persona. The more you are authentically you, that will shine through the platform. Mm -hmm. And people will feel you. I think a lot of times what happens, and I study social psychology in my dissertation and in my PhD studies as well, people see the screen and watch. So I've been me the whole time, right? But I'm going to show you what the, the, the average or the most person, typical person does is now they'll say, hi, Joelle. Hi, Brendan. How are you? <laughs> Today, we're going to learn about XYZ. Right. And that's not who you are. And you wouldn't do that if you were on YouTube or FaceTime and with your, with your mom or your dad or your mm -hmm. cousin. So preserving that mm -hmm. person who you are through this digital platform is really what's going to make it go. Not changing to being someone else. Because if we were in front of each other, I wouldn't necessarily change. So don't make the computer magically have you lose yourself. <laughs> wow. I just want to say that so innovative forward thinking, you know, that those, both those programs that you uh, spearheaded, I just love how you laid out, you know, the business and technology uh, sides of, you know, your role with being a CIO as well during that time. You know, a lot of people, like say, I think we talked about earlier where people just think that, you know, technology is just coding, but, you know, you're interfacing with all different sectors at a CIO in that role, you know, you're working with the finance, your marketing, the curriculum and whatnot. And I really think with also the U.S. with this uh, 1.6 trillion debt crisis, you're also helping out strategic goals as well, too, of minimizing costs and also the student retention rates as well. So I think that's another aspect that I'm just so fascinated about with that whole entire uh, program. Yeah, well, it was definitely about retention. It was, mm -hmm. it was a retention initiative, but it was also one to help our students and mm -hmm. stay and, and go out and do great and wonderful things. Uh, I just can't say enough about HBCUs and my classmates and the various universities which I've interacted with and spoken with. They're, they're just so necessary. And so whatever I can do, again, through technology, I'm always going to do. Well, and I would also say on top of that, it is workforce development, right? Because what you're, I mean, you just talked about it, right? You were able to develop and execute a project and see it through to completion completely virtual because of the current environment in your first five months at Nationwide because of what you understand and know about, you know, relationships and just relationships through technology and with technology and so on and so forth. Having those environments set up at a place like Central State and then hopefully in other places that are doing similar things. I mean, we have a Similar to the MyPad program, we have Digital Flagship at OSU that's kind of doing some of the same types of things. Students, when they get out into the workforce, are now not intimidated by the technology. And I think that's even more prevalent for students who don't grow up with it in the home. That is exactly, and thanks for reminding me of that. And, and that was part of it. Like now, when you get to work, you know how to send an Outlook invite. You know how to respond to it. You know how to interact in Teams or in WebEx Teams or whatever platform, Zoom or platform of choice. It's second nature. So I've also felt like it would give our students a, a digital advantage over those students who weren't really using it like that. Now COVID has accelerated. Everybody's going to have that digital advantage. 
advantage or those who have adopted it well will. But mm-hmm. yes, you are correct. I think my my early success at Nationwide was because I am I am so used to being virtual. Like I don't ever really have to be anywhere. And mm-hmm. I will tell you again, it's about being authentically who you are because my team of 60, I love them. And we have such a great relationship. We have a great time. And I can't wait to meet them. It'll probably be a year in before I really meet everybody. <laughs> but I know them. I know them. Just like, you know how um, younger students now, they'll say, oh, I have my best friend, my best friend on Instagram and yeah. my best friend on Twitter. Like you've never even met them. How is that your best friend? But that can be juxtaposed and overlaid on work as well. I want us not to separate the people and the communication and the value of good communication in these platforms. Because the reason why said college student has a best friend on Instagram is because they are themselves to that best friend on on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And you can do that as well at work to cultivate those relationships even virtually. One of the things I want to ask you about in relation to what you're saying there, and now you're at Nationwide, and Nationwide is this massive presence nationally, right? But then their presence is even more substantial here in Central Ohio. One of the things that's always a challenge for teachers and students is to, uh, particularly, like I said, in the K-12 environment, and we're going to talk about Columbus City Schools or even Southwestern City Schools, other areas where a nationwide can be so close but seem so far away, right? Because there's a large disconnect between what's happening in that big building over there and what I'm seeing in, like, in my classrooms and so on and so forth. What are your thoughts on how organizations like Nationwide or uh, or Ohio State or even Battelle or so on, can open up so that students at West High School or Fort Hayes right around the corner or whatnot can see what's happening. And more importantly, administrators and teachers can see what's happening and understand, okay, this is how I need to connect with my students so they'll be better prepared starting as early as possible, first, second, third grade on up, able to be successful 15 years down the line when they're ready to to work at a place like, like Nationwide? I think it starts with awareness and access and visibility. So first for companies to be aware that there are places in your backyard that need to have light shine on them. And knowing that you as a corporate presence can be that light. And in some instances, and Nationwide does a phenomenal job with this, make it your imperative and your business to shine that light on these places that need to to have examples. And then going there. And virtual presence right now makes it easier to go there because before maybe it's I don't I don't have I don't know where to go. I don't right now you can go anywhere the click of a mouse. So making those connections and saying I'd like to to share what we're doing with your students. I'd like to create those pipelines. I, I started this whole concept in my mind of pipelining when I was, was at Central and one that I continue now at, at Nationwide in my thoughts, which is 
if we're, especially in nationwide technology, which is where I, where I live within nationwide, if we're trying to create a future generation of technologists that grow up saying, I want to work for nationwide, we need to be present at their career fairs now in fifth and sixth grade so that they can, everybody say, I want to grow up to be a teacher, a firefighter, police, because those are people in the classrooms. Mm-hmm. We need to be there too early so that they can say, oh, I, I, I've met somebody really cool. She worked for Nationwide Technology, and I would like to learn more about technology. Bringing those educational programs as well. Coding is great, a, a great start. A lot of people have kind of latched onto that very quickly. But I think there's so many other things that we can be doing to bridge that educational gap and help prepare the students, at least in the way that that's age appropriate or grade appropriate, to start bringing them on up through. So really just get in front of them. Community programs, school programs, adopt the school, just, just getting in front of people. And then when COVID is over, not even inviting them in virtually. This is, I love this, this time because now we're finding so many other innovative uses for these platforms, inviting mm-hmm. them in to show what you do and for low cost, no cost, really. How much does it cost to set up a Teams meeting or a Zoom? Nothing. It's already (laughs) kind of built into your sunk cost. So in creating these virtual opportunities for people to get to know you, I think it's so important to do that. Thank you. And just before we transition a little bit more to this conversation, which I think is just awesome. And for our listeners too, since, you know, this is a podcast, you're, you're a black woman and as a VP, formerly, you know, CIO as well of HBCU, how has your experience been? Ah, you know, throughout my career? Yeah, your career. How how has that, you know, been throughout your career, over 20 years in the profession? Gosh, you know, every day I get up and I start my role realizing that I am a Fortune 100 or Fortune 50, I think, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, officer. Yeah. I pause. I really do pause because mm-hmm. I never expected myself to be here. Not that I knew that I couldn't, because I always knew I could do whatever I wanted to do. And actually, the Brooklyn Grit, I set out to do whatever it is. And I'm, I'm still not done. There's still so much more I want to do. But just the road that I had to take to get here, and it, it's just so, I'm, I'm filled with gratitude. That's the only word that I can think of is just immense gratitude for the opportunity to, to be here. So I, I, sh- I shared a little bit about my background, so just to fill in some of the gaps here. I'm born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, my parents were teenagers. So I, I had a very typical inner city story, which is why when I wake up every day, I'm like, wow, you know, <laughs> look, look where I am. I was raised by my mother in Brooklyn and a very close relationship with my dad and was a first generation college student. Got the opportunity to go to to Morgan State. And I recall, and I I could have gone anywhere. Let me me back up there. This is the, I think the best part of the story. I didn't go to Morgan State, which was an HBU because I couldn't go anywhere else. I was a valedictorian of my high school class. I had over a 4.0. I could go anywhere, and I did. I got into many of the larger universities, but at that time, scholarships were such, and maybe such as now, where you have to have somewhat of a contribution, Mm -hmm. even if it's books or fees or whatever. 
And I wanted to go to Georgetown. I got into Georgetown. I got a scholarship to Georgetown. And, but there was some sort of financial contribution that my mother had to make. And whatever it was, and it, it might have been five or 10,000. It wasn't to some people a lot, but to her, it was enough that I couldn't go there. And I had to go, I had to go to this HBCU in my mind um, because they gave me a full ride. Room, board, books, um, tuition, everything. It was like, show up. Went to Morgan mm -hmm. State. And, and you know the part I got into IS. My first two years, I did a finance internship because no technology companies came to my university. And I wondered why, but I do know now that a lot of times HBCUs are not on the recruiting list. Mm -hmm. And my entering into my senior year, one technology company came and it was IBM. And I was very excited to have the opportunity to compete, to, to finally do what I had studied to do, studied so hard mm -hmm. to do it at that point. I, I ended up graduating summa cum laude, so I, I was totally qualified. And I got in and I, I, I got the internship and, and actually subsequently my senior year, they hired me full time. So I was a full time programmer at IBM as well as a senior in college. And I'm so grateful that they showed up. I mean, to me, that would be really where the story begins and keeps going. These opportunities, just un looking in different places shining the lights on different places, understanding that there's talent everywhere, but you just might have to look in places that you're not necessarily looking. And I've been able to become a Fortune 50 a corporate executive just because somebody showed up on my small campus. And, I, and, and that's so powerful to even say that because what if they didn't come? How? would I be talking to you? How? No one in my neighborhood were technologists. I didn't even have a computer. I couldn't, I didn't have the natural networks to tell me where to apply. I didn't even know anything about IBM. I had never heard of IBM. I just, the career center said, come because you're in this major. And then going through that, I've, I've been in rooms where people have thought that I was an admin, um, even though I was a CIO. <laughs> I've had vendor phone calls where people would call me and talk to me. I mean, you would think they would do their research and know that I'm the CEO or CIO mm -hmm. because remember, I was the president and CEO of the Virgin Islands Next Generation Network. So I have chief executive experience as well. And then say, you probably should ask your IT guys what they think about this. <laughs> oh, really? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, you think they might want to ask me? They probably should ask me what I think about it, right? Yeah. I've gone into, but even more sad, I've, I do a lot with giving back to communities and I do a lot with, you know, just going to inner cities and, and, and shining the light on them because I understand, it's where I'm from. That's my roots, I get it. Mm -hmm. And I can recall, I think, going into a room and I asked a group of students, this was, in um in florida in orlando florida one of the roughest neighborhoods there and i said what do you think i do and they said oh you're a model you're a news anchor you're a teacher you're everything but technologist and when i said i am a technology professional and i'm a cio one little girl said no you're not 
you're lying because black women are on CIOs. And this is why I exist, gentlemen. And this is the grit. And this is the passion. And this is the dreaming big that this girl from Brooklyn has done ever since I had the audacity to dream that I could leave Brooklyn. I said I would never go back. And I didn't. I go back to visit my family. But Mm -hmm. I said, until I'm done conquering the world and showing them the goodness that could come out of Brooklyn. And and let me tell you, everybody thinks Brooklyn is great now because it's like Latte Brooklyn. (laughs) I'm not from Latte Brooklyn. (laughs) I am from Brooklyn, Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) The the, uh, Spike Lee version, right? The (laughs) Spike Lee version of Brooklyn. And to be able to just get out and be in and have this vast experience that's taken me to America's paradise, that's taken me to live on an island, that's brought me to the Midwest. I'm fascinated by corn. Anybody who's ever heard me talk knows I'm fascinated by corn mowers. <laughs> I know they're not called corn mowers, but that's what Brooklyn thought they were. I was like, oh my gosh, it's mowing the corn. This is like, so, you know what I'm talking about. I oh, learned that's the oh, yeah, we know. Oh, yes. The corn mowers, yes. But it's taking technology and being in technology has opened up a world for me that I never thought I would actually see and experience in my whole soul role and purpose in life is to make sure that whatever room I'm in, whatever company I'm in, whatever organization I'm in, whoever listens to me knows that I'm a champion and an ambassador for everyone like me when it comes to diversity and inclusion. I am an African-American woman who went to an HBCU who grew up in an inner city with a funny name. And if I can do it, and I have a PhD in this thing, you guys, and I didn't use a computer until I was 18 years old, then Mm -hmm. anybody could do it. Wow. I I mean, amazing. And, you know, so first of all, corn mowers, that's funny because (laughs) I literally behind my house is a cornfield and so during this time is when harvest is happening and the farmer comes out with this the corn mower i don't know it's what the it's mower. called <laughs> and, they, and level it all out and they do whatever they do with the corn and then they start all over the next year so uh, it's so but, cool i love it i, I sit there and watch like i'll park when i lived in over in wilberforce i would park and watch like yes it was entertainment <laughs> That's, that's amazing. First of all, you, you know, you're, you're talking about the, the reason why you exist and, and, and why you've done what you've done is to kind of provide a pathway for, for others. And, and, you know, I have, I have two daughters, two, two, uh, two young Black women who I want to provide experiences and opportunities that I didn't have. I mean, I didn't see or use a computer in my high school until I was in my senior year. Um, and, and that was, you know, kind of my experience, but, uh, now I work with technology and things of that nature on, on a regular basis. Um, but my daughters, they don't know life without, (laughs) you know, it's partly, it's partly my, 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 my fault because, uh, you know, because of my love for technology, I wanted to make sure that they were very familiar with it, but you talked about. IBM showing up, right? And that was kind of the the nugget for you. Can you also talk about also being the student on the other end and showing up as well, particularly in this space, in this time where 
there is so much. I mean, we there's limited access, but then there is a lot of access, right? You know, because uh, we didn't have these many computers in our pockets way back when. Uh, mm -hmm. So they have access some to some things. How do they show up so that they're ready for the opportunity when it's presented by an IBM or whomever? The mindset has to sh has to shift from being a consumer to being a creator. And so you have everything you need to be a premier technologist, but start looking at it in a different way. Mm -hmm. If you could design this app, how would you make it sleeker? How would you make it more user-friendly? How would, what would you do? Because you have the added advantage of having experience as a user that Joelle and I did not have. I did not have that experience. So I couldn't think about how I would feel using it because I didn't, I really didn't think, I didn't know how to use it. Right. But no, with your user mentality flip it and say how could i how could i do this differently what problems could i solve if i had the technology for one instance in this instance so using the current technology that you have to put it on a different application for example my classrooms without walls i had already used video conferencing technology day in and day out but i've never seen it in education but i thought i could put this problem to bed by using something I've already seen. So looking for different use cases for, for technologies that you're used to. And, and I would say, and this is my new thing that I've really been preaching lately, so I'm, I'm glad to have this, this platform here. Mm -hmm. Being a people person, technologists always get the bad rap of, you. oh, you have to know all the technologies to be a great technologist, and guess what? That technology is going to change tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And you're always going to be behind the curve because there's no way you're going to learn everything. But what stays constant is the necessity for you to be able to communicate the use, the value to your business partners and be able to groom your team to be able to work with your team. If you're an individual contributor and, and just know how to communicate, groom your soft skills as much as you groom your tech skills. Do not ignore that. Right now, you're gonna have to talk to people. Gone are the days, like when I started and I was a program, I literally didn't talk to anybody all day long. I just sat at the computer, that's all I did, right? Because I didn't have to. But now the lines between user as a partner and a technologist as a partner have blended so much that you're gonna have to talk to people. And they're going to have to understand why your technology is the best one to use or your solution is the best one to use. And so that persuasive uh, level of communication, you're going, to have to, you're going to have to up that. So really focusing on soft skill. You probably won't hear much of that from people, but I'm also an academic, so. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is awesome. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that, you know, is very fascinating as well that our listeners may not know was that you was the Central Ohio Technology Executive of the Year. I was in the room when that happened, and right. yeah, I was there. Oh, gosh, that was the <laughs> worst speech ever. <laughs> I heard, I heard different. Everybody loved it. It was but great. I, oh gosh, it was, it was great. It really was. You know, the, the passion you brought. You know, I was really inspired. So, what can you tell maybe your younger self or someone you know that's. Uh, rising or even you know, a high school or college student that's looking to get into technology, uh, a few um, words of advice, words of wisdom, or lessons learned that uh, will help them move forward. 
I'm going to go back to my big three, grit, passion, and dream big. It, it really has propelled me throughout my career from Brooklyn to now in so many situations. Grit, sticking with your, your ideas, sticking with your solutions, putting yourself out there when you may be scared or fearful, or maybe they don't, they won't like what I have to say, or maybe all of those anxiety and in, in your, in your inner saboteur that comes out sometimes. You've got to have the grit to move past that. And even when someone says no, even if you put yourself out there with your solution or your idea and, and they and they say, no, no, thank you. You can't, you have to just keep going with it and figure it out. So grit, passion, you've got to love what you do. There's so, you know, the good thing about technology is that there's so many areas to it. It's like infinite. So for example, I don't love networking. Although I <laughs> built an amazing network in the Virgin Islands. Um, and, and I don't, it's not, I don't love it anymore. I think I've networked out. But good thing is I don't have to do that. I can do something else right now. I'm loving applications. Like it's, it's just great. I love um, into the intersection and sectionality of humans and, and technology. So I'm into that. Mm -hmm. And as your passions shift, you can shift to a technology, but just go with your passion because it'll make your grit and your resolve stronger. Cause you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with this. And then finally you have to dream big. You have to dream big for your solutions and for your clients, but more for yourself. Whatever you think you can do, I am living proof, if anybody is, that you can and the universe will conspire to give you everything that you need and put you in positions to be able to realize that. But first, you have to realize it in your own mind. Visualize it. Um, I remember saying at Accenture, I'm going to be a CIO one day. I completely forgot about that until I was a CIO. And I was like, oh, I see said it right and, and mm -hmm. so visualize yourself in these positions in these situations and that's what that's what i would do when i won that award first of all i was thinking there's no way there's no way in the world <laughs> i am going to win this award that i just no when i was nominated i was just like okay maybe i'm just like the joke nomination i have no idea not because i didn't think i could but just because i was a cio at a small hbcu but it was the grit my passion and my ability to know that i could transform that university through technology and i did that led me to that space wow well Tanja, I, I really appreciate you having this conversation with us. I feel like it could probably go on for another hour or so. But <laughs> we have everybody has stuff to do, so I don't want to keep you know keep you longer. But I really appreciate you being with us today. We are, I think our listen listeners are going to really appreciate hearing from you in in this recording. And thank you for your time. Thank you for your engagement and your passion and the work that you are doing. And we look forward to having you back when once you do some more future telling uh, and, and do something for it nationwide that they're like, wait a minute, we didn't know that she was telling the future at that time. Oh, I'm already working on that. Right. I didn't share it, but I'm already, I'm already working. Three years from now, I'm, I'm going to tell you it's going to happen. It's so good, too. You've got to get me back on. Okay. Well, we'll definitely be here. We, we, so if you're going to do it in three years, we want you, we, we need to get you back on sooner than that so you, you can let us know what the future is going to be. So. <laughs> I'm going to do it in a year and a half, like two years. All so you're going to get me back in six months. There you go. All right. <laughs> we'll do that. We'll do that. 
All right. Thank you again. And, and we'll look forward to having you again. Thank you. <laughs>